0: We're actually in Lesson 56 of Matthew and in Chapter 19. And last week, remember, we left off with this rich young man in Chapter 19. And he wanted, he wanted some assurance of his life in the world to come. And the answer to that insurance, the Messiah Yeshua was standing right in front of him saying, Come, follow me. I'll give you life. I'll give you a fully matured, virtuous life in the kingdom of heaven if you follow me. And the young man went away sad because the young man had something in his life that came between him and discipleship with Yeshua. Something that kept him from a virtuous, matured life in the Lord. And so he walked away sad. And this week we come to the response of Yeshua and the disciples to his rejection of life. And let's look at Yeshua's teaching for his disciples. He says this in chapter 19, verse 23. Then Yeshua said to his disciples, I tell you the truth. It is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And so Yeshua says it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven, And keep at the forefront of your mind that last week we determined that his wealth was what was in question, but it could be anything that you have in your life that keeps you from following the commands of God through the leading of Yeshua. In other words, that keeps you from discipleship with Messiah Yeshua. And keep at the forefront of your minds also that Yeshua did not use the word eternal life in his answer. He just said life. And the reason he did that is because your life, your eternal life, begins when you accept Yeshua. It begins today. You're grafted into Israel. Everything you do after that is part of the record of your eternal life. Your life begins today, it begins at your rebirth, not at your resurrection. And so he's saying if you put something before your walk with God, then you've walked away from life. If you have something that's a violation of God's Torah, something keeping you from Yeshua, if it's keeping you from God and the life that Yeshua secured for you, you've walked away. If you love anything more than Yeshua, it will certainly keep you from life that is life. It will keep you and distance you from a relationship with Yeshua. And you put it there. And then he says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Than for someone who has put something before God and his commands to enter the kingdom of heaven. The phrase a camel through the eye of a needle is a difficult saying. Because of that we've had varying interpretations over the years. One of the more bizarre is that there was a gate within the walls of Jerusalem called the eye of the needle, and it was so small that you had to dismount your camel and unload your camel, and then the camel, and you could crawl through the gate and into the city. Well, First of all, there's no gate called the eye of the needle, and second, there was no gate so small that you had to crawl to enter. And you can just do a little bit of study on the temple structure to figure that one out. There's another one that says brought forth that the word camel was translated incorrectly and it should be rope. And the reason is because the words are very similar for camel and rope are very similar in Hebrew. But, you know, when you think about it, that's an argument in futility because the outcome will be the same. You can't get a camel through the eye of a needle and you can't get a rope through the eye of the needle. You see, both are impossible and that's the point. But let me say this. Most of the manuscripts, to include the Hebrew, have the word camel. There's another reason that makes me think that camel is right, and that's if we look at a couple of traditions in in Judaism. First one comes from Berchot 55a. It says, Rabbah says, This is proved by faith that a man is never shown in a dream or a date palm of gold or an elephant going through the eye of a needle. It's not camel in this tradition, it's elephant. And here's another one from the Midrash Rabbah. God said to the Israelites, Open to me, my children, the gate of repentance as small as the point of a needle, and I will open for you gates wide enough for carriages and wagons to enter through them. And so camel works best for me, and it seems consistent with other traditions of the day. But rope would work easily as well, because what yeshua is, the only point Yeshua is making is that it's impossible to enter life. If you have something in your life keeping you from life, it's impossible. So either rope or camel would be the same because it makes the same point. So Yeshua is saying you can't enter life unless you give up who you are, unless you die to yourself and all that you are and walk with him, be his disciple. This is the disciples' response to Yeshua's saying. They said, when the disciples heard this, They were greatly astonished and asked, who can be saved? The impossibility of a camel going through the eye of a needle was certainly understood by the disciples. And someone putting something before their walk with God was certainly understood by the disciples. We can see that in their response. Who can be saved? It says they were astonished. No doubt they were looking at their own lives saying, who can be saved? And the Greek word for saved there is sozo and you notice that it means saved but it also means to be made whole to be made whole and if we combine that with remember what we talked about the young man last week we said Yeshua's answer to him was if you want to be perfect go sell your possessions give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven Yeshua says if you want to be perfect and remember the word there was teleos And it means wanting nothing, necessary completeness, consummate human integrity and virtue. Mature. If you want to be completely virtuous, fully matured, lack nothing, if you want to be whole, then sell all you have and follow me. And the disciples respond, then who can be made whole? You know, it may be that their astonishment is in part due to a grave misconception that we see in the church today. The disciples may have looked at the rich young man as an Israelite blessed by God, so loved by God that he, that God had blessed him with this great abundance of wealth. They may have viewed him through this great wealth and mistaken the wealth as the blessing of God and said, if one so blessed cannot enter, who can be made whole? They may have looked at the Torah at the promises of God and said he must be a righteous man even as Abraham was so blessed by God and he was a righteous man, so was Jacob, so was David, so was Solomon. It's the same, thing, the same mistake we make in the church today. That God will bless us with material things in life. And it's true, he does bless us, but I can tell you this, God will never bless you with something that will draw you away from him. Right? Right? which is exactly what that man's wealth had done. God is about drawing you to him, not pushing you away. We're the ones who do the pushing away. It is a plain and simple fact that if we look at the wealthy wealthy people in the church as being blessed of God, that it is not always the case. Prosperity people would like you to think so. But let me say this, there's somebody else who can bless you With the curse of wealth, if he thinks it'll draw you away from God. And we can see this in the temptation of Yeshua. Well, how did he get tempted? I'll give you all this you see if you'll just bow down to me. So don't fall into the trap of thinking that because someone is wealthier than you, that God loves them more and has blessed them with more because of their wealth. Because I can tell you that it is not necessarily so. But let's see how Yeshua responds. Yeshua looked at them and said, With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. This is really, and where do you begin with this? He says, With men, it is impossible. And what I hear Yeshua saying is there's no way for man to enter life on his own works. Wholeness, completeness, and virtue are not within the grasp of man Not even those who would seem to be blessed by God. But God, but with God, wholeness and virtue are possible only through discipleship with Messiah Yeshua, with following Messiah Yeshua. It's only because God sent Yeshua that wholeness and virtue in our lives are possible. You see, not even if you're an Israelite, not even if you're one of the covenant people of God, is wholeness and virtue possible Possible, but with God, through his Messiah, Yeshua, all things are possible. Amen? God is about to make a way for all men. We're just a few chapters away from where God, where it's recorded that God will make a way for all men, those of his covenant people Israel, and those from the nations who attach themselves to Israel, to get on a path of wholeness and virtue and relationship with God. And it begins with the gift of God begins with the Son of God who gave his life, Messiah Yeshua. Listen to Peter's answer. Peter answered, we have left everything to follow you. What then will be there for us? What will be there for us? Speaking of the reward in the world to come, what's going to be for us in the world to come? And Shaul really sums this up succinctly. I want to read from Ephesians because Shaul hits the nail on the head here. He says in chapter 2, verse 4, but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Messiah even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. You see, he's saying the same thing. We could not enter life because we were dead in our transgressions. It was impossible for man. But with God, all things are possible. He did it through his son. And now Shaul says this, he says, And God raised us up with Messiah and seated us with him in heavenly realms in Messiah Yeshua, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Yeshua the Messiah. He did it so that in the coming ages, at the renewal of all things, that is the coming age, when the world will be renewed, we'll be united with him. And finally he says this, he goes on to say, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, this not from yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works that anyone can boast, for we are God's workmanship, created in Messiah Yeshua to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Notice what it says. You have been saved. Not you will be saved. It's a done deal. Life has begun for you. You have been saved and your life has begun and it was a gift of God. There was nothing you could have done to secure it, no works you could have done to accomplish it because it was impossible for man. But God did it. And he did it so that we, created in Messiah Yeshua to do good works in Messiah Yeshua. Wow. That's what we talked about last week, wasn't it? That we are to do good works in Messiah Yeshua. What mitzvot, what good deeds are we to be doing? It is what the redeemed is what we were. It is what we were redeemed for. Let's read on a little bit farther. Let's go to Philippians here. It says, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purposes. You see, with men, it's not possible, but with God, we can do the good he intended us to do if we choose each and every day to be disciples of Yeshua. Notice in Ephesians, he said, Shaul said, he did it that in the coming ages he might reward us. And that's exactly what we're going to get at next in Matthew. It says in chapter 19, verse 27 and 28, Peter answered him, we have left everything to follow you. What will there be for us? And Yeshua said, I tell you the truth, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, You who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And I want you to notice something here. Yeshua begins, I tell you the truth. Well, think about it. If you're one of Yeshua's disciples, it's a given that he's going to tell you the truth, right? Has he ever told you anything that wasn't true? It's a given that he's going to tell you the truth. So why does he say this? Well, it's because he's about to say something that's not really within our understanding, that we haven't been taught. It's something far beyond what we have understood and been taught in the past, beyond what is normal thought for us. And so he takes this extra emphasis and say, I tell you the truth. Listen to me, in other words. And Yeshua begins to speak of the reward of those who enter life. Life begins today, the reward for walking with Yeshua and repenting, And entering into the kingdom, the full reward is coming. It's yet to come at the renewal of all things. What does he mean by the renewal of all things? Well, first I want to say this. I want, do not want you to lose sight that for us life begins today. That renewal begins today because he says, Shaul says this in Titus chapter 3, but when The kindness and love of God our Savior appeared. He saved us not because of righteous things that we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us generously through Yeshua the Messiah, our Savior. You see, we've been saved. It's a done deal. We've been renewed. The renewal is a done deal. We've been renewed. We have life... But the world around us doesn't. And so now Yeshua speaks of the renewal of all things. The fullness of what he secured. This is not our renewal. We've been renewed. But the renewal of the whole age. And at that time, he speaks of a reward. Isaiah speaks of this time. Listen to what Isaiah says. 66 verse 22 says as the new heavens and the new earth that i make will endure before me declares the lord so will your name and your descendants name endure from one new moon to another from one sabbath to another all mankind will come and bow down before me says the lord and they will go out and look on the dead bodies of those who rebelled against me and their worm will not die nor will their fire be quenched and they will be loathsome to all mankind See, the word there for new is really chadash, and it means fresh. It's number 2319 in your Strongs. It means fresh, and it's related to another word, chadash. that means to repair, renew. He means renewed, repair. The Lord will create a fresh, a repaired, a renewed earth. The renewal of all things. We've been renewed but we all long for the renewal of all things. We walk in an ungenerated world, unregenerated world, but we should be walking as regenerated creatures in Messiah Yeshua. And when the world is renewed, the Lord promises that those who are renewed in this life are going to be rewarded. And He tells His disciples they will sit on 12 thrones And do the rewarding of the others of the 12 tribes. In other words, judge the 12 tribes. You know, some have taken this to say, some anti-Semites have taken this to say that they're going to punish the 12 tribes of Israel for rejecting Messiah. That's not true. Judgment is good and judgment is bad. Next, Yeshua knowing that Rabbi Stan, 2,000 years later, would say, but Lord, what's good for us? I I see that this is good for the 12, but what about the rest of your disciples? What do we get? He goes on to say, and everyone who has left houses, brothers, sisters, or father, mother, or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit life, but many who are first will be last and many who are last will be first. You see, this whole passage hasn't been about money at all. It's about giving up who you are in this life. It's about dying to yourself and being reborn and renewed in Messiah. And it happens today. But as Shaul told Titus, the reward is yet to come. Life is here. Renewal is here. Take hold because soon all things are going to be renewed. If we look at what Yeshua is saying, think about it. If we look at what Yeshua is saying here about leaving houses and fields, that wouldn't be too hard for us to understand because we could take that right back to the rich young man leaving his wealth. But what about when he says brothers and sisters and father and mother and children? What could he mean by that? I mean, think back to the beginning of this chapter. He started out with telling us how important marriage and family was. That God had joined them together and no man should separate them. Another place he speaks for his love of children. In another place he rebukes the Pharisees for not supporting their fathers and mothers for the sake of taking a vow. The fact is that this is the most important part of your life. Your spouse, your children, your mother and father. And the Torah requires that you honor and care for these. And yet here he says, if you leave them, you'll have reward. You see, there's absolutely no way that we can take Yeshua's word to mean literally leave or in the sense of abandon because it would make you a Torah violator to do that. So we could look at this as hyperbole, Yeshua merely saying that there's nothing more important in your life than relationship with me. And I I, I can't argue with that. But let me just give you another possibility. Maybe we should understand this as leaving in the sense of leaving their well-being in God's hands. You know, sometimes I I think back in my life, there were times I I got involved in things I shouldn't have been involved with because I didn't think God, I I didn't realize or I didn't remember that God can take care of my family. Amen. Amen? He's able to do well by them. He was doing well by them before I met Cheryl. She was doing good. Right? Yeah, she was doing good. He can do it without me. Because there's nothing impossible for God. But sometimes we fail to put our children in the hands of God. Lay that burden down. Leave the worry behind and follow God. Seek God. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. And all things will be added unto you. And finally, Yeshua tells us something about the judgment. He says, the first will be last, and the last will be first. Yeshua is saying to us, remember, it began with, truly I say unto you. In other words, this is something that you more than likely haven't understood before, haven't been taught, so listen up. He tells us that God does not judge with our understanding. He says, the first will be last, and the last will be first. In other words, like the Midrash we've read many times, and I'll read it again, because it hits it right on the head. Baba Bhatra 10a says, he was sick and had an out-of-body experience whereby the soul briefly leaves the body and returns. His father asked him, what did you see in your out-of-body state? And he replied, I saw a topsy-turvy world. Those that were on top in this world, respected for their wealth and power, are at the bottom in the world to come. And those who were at the bottom in this world, the poor and the downtrodden, are at the top. And the father told him, you didn't see an upside-down world, but an unconfused and sensible world. If you ever wonder why Yeshua had to say, truly I say unto you, this is why. The kingdom of heaven is completely opposite of what we think in this life. The first are last. The rich are poor. Yeshua said to the young men, sell all you have. Give it to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. And he went away sad.